and it was dark. <laughs> good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Uh, there's just a slight disclaimer this morning, just a slight one. Uh, some of you, I walked past you, I, I said hello, but I didn't hug you or embrace you or shake your hand, and I'm a little under the weather this morning. Um, as God would have it, I would preach a sermon called The Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day uh, on a day that I was a little under the weather. So I think that's his way of just being humorous with me, uh, but I'm trying to actually care for you not by coughing on you or shaking your hand or hugging you. So um, if you feel like I was a little less friendly this morning, uh, there's just probably because I love you that much, okay? You know, one of the uh, great children's books of all time is, is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It's about an eight-year-old who gets up and nothing seems to go right. I actually picked it up from our public library the other day. I'm going to play librarian, and I'm going to read just little portions of it to you. It's Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It begins something like this with Alexander waking up. He said, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth. Now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He continues, I could tell, because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend, and that Alberto Moyo was his next best friend, and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on attack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream falls apart off the cone and lands in Australia. That's what it was. Because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist, and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week, and I'll fix it, said Dr. Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot, and while we were waiting for my mom to get to the car, uh, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy, and then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the, car, with the car and scolded me for being muddy and for fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I told everyone. No one even answered me. There were lima beans for dinner. And I hate limas. There was kissing on TV. I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My barbell went down the drain. And I had to wear my railroad uh, train pajamas. And I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony and not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. 
There's a truth to that, isn't there? I mean, we, we laugh at that book because there's some truth in it. it. We don't have to be Alexander. We don't even have to be eight years old because uh, we know that it doesn't matter who we are or where we've come from, that sometimes there's a terrible, horrible, uh, uh, no good, very bad day. I mean, have you ever... Have you ever just had that day and you go to the store and you need to get into the store and you need to get out of the store? You have a very specific task in mind and you go to the store and you can't quite find a parking spot and so you end up parking way out, uh, clear at the other end of the parking lot in order so that you can go in and get that one thing that you really need and then every checkout is taken. Not only is every checkout taken, there's like two checkouts. And they all have long lines, and you think, I'm just going to go to the self-checkout. And then when you get to the self-checkout, you ding the little thing that you needed to purchase so that you could get to where you needed to go, and the little red light comes on and asks for assistance. And you probably begin to think, oh, this is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Or maybe it is that you're just caught in traffic and the person in front of you just keeps uh, cutting you off or going too slow and you think, oh, just don't you understand? Or one of my absolute favorites, you're laying in bed, it's early Thursday morning, and as God would have it, you wake up. Your eyes begin to look around, and you realize that it's trash day, and you didn't take the trash out, and just as soon as you fly down the stairs with your PJs still on, you dash out the door just in time to see the trash truck roll down the street. We've all had those days, haven't we? We've all had terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. And some of you actually are beginning to think, no, I've not just had terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. I have had no good, very bad weeks and months and maybe years. Some of you may have even come in this morning thinking, I have had a no good, very bad life. And maybe there's trials and troubles that that you're having to to deal with now that you never imagined that you would have to deal with. Maybe it is that for you, you're a parent of a child, and, and you maybe have a child that they've had a best friend, but that best friend has moved away. And you approved of that best friend. You knew that when they were going to hang out with that best friend, everything was going to be okay. You knew their parents. You knew the kind of values that they had. You knew that they weren't going to go and get in the kind of trouble that you know that sometimes kids like to do. But they're now gone, and and you're noticing in your child that they're beginning to hang out with some other kinds of people that you don't really approve of, and you don't really know their parents, and you don't know what kind of values that they have, and you are Worried because you have begun to see in your child some things that you never thought they would. Well, they're making decisions that you wouldn't have them make. And you're thinking, I don't know if I can do this for this long. This is maybe a terrible, awful, no good, very bad day. 
and a week and a month and a year. And maybe it is that you're a parent and, and, and your child, maybe you know this about your child, they're just a little bit different than some of the other kids that go to school. And you know that some kids can be vicious with other kids. If you've ever had a child or perhaps you have gone through this, you know just how painful it can be. They go to school and they're made fun of and they're, they're, they're really bullied and, and, and you try and console them or you try, your parents try to console you in a very similar sort of circumstance and yet it's awful. You, you've tried to go to the school, you've talked to the administrators, uh, you've talked to the teachers, but it doesn't seem to be making any difference. And your child and you and your family and everybody seems to be in just a kind of a perpetual turmoil and you're and your family and your life and your child is just going through a trial and there's some trouble. Oh, I suppose it could be a job. Economics, right? That seems to be a big thing these days, right? Everybody wants to be able to live and, and maybe you're just stuck in a job where uh, your boss is just horrible to you. And you think, I, I have to pay the bills, I, I have to make a living, I, I need to continue because if I don't and I lose my insurance and if I lose my insurance and my, my child or, or my, my family, they're, they're not going to have the kind of care that they really need for these particular reasons. And so I guess I just, I guess I just have to grin and bear it. And maybe for you, it's just simply that, that, that in the last several months, maybe in the last several years, uh, that your family, there's been one thing after another. Maybe there has been uh, another, one sickness after another. Maybe there's been one more doctor's visit after another. Uh, maybe it's been that, that you somehow are involved in all of, all of that. You seem to be uh, the person that everybody is looking to, and quite frankly, you're stressed. You've had it up to here. There's pressure seemingly on every side, and no matter what decision you seem to make, it doesn't seem to be the right one. Or maybe it's just that you're getting older and things are breaking like they didn't used to break, and your health isn't what it used to be, and you're thinking, I don't want to be sick. I want to be well. I'm tired of the medical tests. I'm tired of having to go to the doctor. I just want to get up and live my life and enjoy and if any of that touches any of you, then perhaps you have asked the question that so many other people have asked uh, when they're, when they're uh, just in, in a time of trial or trouble, when they're having a very bad day or month or year or life. God, what exactly are you doing in this? God, what is it that I'm supposed to be learning? What is the outcome that you have in store here? Don't you know that this, this is hard? And if you have ever asked that question, then I'm really interested in what answers you have come up with. Because as we begin this sermon series, uh, rocking in the free world, or the real world, free world, that was a song, Sorry. We're really taking a good, hard look at our faith. You see, your faith is this really bedrock sort of thing. It's a foundation 
Uh, do we trust God or do we not trust God? Do we believe in him? Do we believe that he sent his son? Uh, do we believe that he resurrected? Do we believe that he's coming back? All of those things. Uh, do we continue to believe in the real world? You see, as a church, we've said, hey, we're, we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. Well, guess what? The world is looking at you as windows through which they are going to see Jesus. They're looking at you, and guess, guess what's the most public time that they're looking? When you're under stress. When you're having a hard time. When you're in trial and trouble. When you're having a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. And so this morning, we look at this idea of when we have trials in order to say, hey, what is God doing with our faith so that we might mature, and in maturing, we might look to other people and show them who Jesus is? You see, if you've ever asked questions about the trials and troubles that you have had come upon your life, then you're not alone. You see, there's a pastor, and his name is James. And he writes to a church that's undergoing some trial and trouble of their own. You see, they wrote that book before their book was really written. And their names were Christian, and they were having a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Actually, a year and two years and many years You see, the Jews no longer accepted them. The Gentiles didn't trust them. Uh, they were economically poor, generally speaking. Uh, they weren't welcome into the schools that everybody else was welcomed in. They were kind of ostracized. And James begins to say, hey, how are you asking and answering the questions that you're asking when it comes to your no good, very bad day? And so if you have those questions... I want to ask a few more. This morning, I want to ask a few more questions that gets at the answer that you really want. And we're going to do that by going into the book of James. So this morning, if you want to, if you want to and even if you don't, grab a Bible, would you please? James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Hebrews and then James. James is going to be toward the back end of your Bible. So if you get to Hebrews, you're almost there, and then James, and we're in James chapter 1. I think it might be raining. Here's the question. What are you and I supposed to do with our suffering? How is it that God would have us respond when we're having a no good, very bad day? Week, month, year. When we are facing a trial or a trouble, what does God look 
to us to do? How does he want us to respond? And, and James unequivocally answers the question. He says, I want you to respond with joy. Look with me. Look in verse 2 of chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, troubles of many kinds. Uh, uh, what? Uh, huh? Okay, time out. Time out. This is a trial. This is a trouble. This is a no good, very bad day. You, you want me to do what? And oftentimes when we come to, to, to passages like this, we're, we're thinking, God, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, but really what, what James is getting at here, what he wants us to do is really to change our perspective of how we see the, the trials and the temptations or the, the troubles that come upon us in life. Now, he's not saying that when you get a, a bad account from the, the doctor's office because the test came back positive and you were hoping for a negative result, he's not saying you click your heels together and come out uh, in glee, just, uh, you know, dancing on the streets. He's not saying that if that happens, that you, you run home quickly and make sure to get your bride a, a bouquet of flowers and say, guess what, honey? You'll never guess what happened at the doctor's office today. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there has to be something that allows you to change your perspective, to have a greater confidence in God that regardless of the circumstances, uh, you can begin to trust that God knows what's going on. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And when James begins to talk about trials, I want to be clear. When James talks about trials, he's not talking about consequences. You see, trials are things that come upon us. It's like a collision. Uh, they happen to us, and they're going to happen to all of us. It doesn't matter what our age is. It doesn't uh, matter what our uh, economic status is. Trials come upon everybody. If you're breathing this morning, you're going to have a trial at some point. Maybe it's even today. But when James talks about trials, that's what he's talking about. You see, sometimes we think of a trial as some sort of consequence from sin that I've rebelled against God and now God's mad at me. No, that's not what James is talking about. You see, sometimes there is a consequence for sinning. But James isn't talking about dealing with consequences. He's saying those things that happen upon your life, those things like, oh man, the dishwasher just stopped working. And that little hose at the bottom of the dishwasher that was supposed to be all sealed up hasn't been sealed up, but you didn't know about it until it began to leak through the floor and down into the basement, and now there's mold, and now there's, well, you get the picture, now that is a trial. It comes upon you. And James says, how is it that God wants us to, to respond to that? He said, respond with joy. 
Now the question becomes, okay, okay, you want me to respond with joy. Okay, God, what, what exactly am I supposed to get out of these trials? What is it that I'm supposed to be learning? What, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? How is it that I'm supposed to be growing? Well, he says in, in verse 3, really in two stages, he said that trials are going to produce something for you. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance, endurance. Listen. You will never know your faith is real until it's tested. The idea that James is getting at with this trial and your faith and the idea of perseverance is that of refining. Now, God's not the one causing the trials and the troubles in your life, but He knows that they're going to happen. And when they do... He says, there's a great opportunity. There's a spiritual opportunity for you to grow. You see, it's a change in perspective for us to begin to think of trials uh, not as obstacles, but as opportunities. To begin to say, I know that I'm, I'm facing this, uh, but perhaps it will, it will show, it will, it will prove itself in perseverance. And the, the picture here is of, of someone who uh, is carrying a large weight, uh, but carries it for a long, long, long time and continues to carry it until someone comes along and helps them out and allows them to drop off the load. Is God using something right now that's in your life as a trial or a trouble that he's trying to get you to change your perspective ever so much uh, so that you can begin to go, okay, God, what, what am I supposed to be learning here? And perhaps the very thing that he wants you to do is he wants you to show your faith as a faith that can endure even through the toughest of times. I work with a guy, his name is Andrew. I think I've told his story before, but it's really interesting when it comes to his faith. You see, he was working at a Christian university. He had recently been named the teacher of the year. And then just a few months later, after having been named the teacher of the year, because of budget cuts, uh, the university came down to him and said, hey, um, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to cut your position. We're cutting your job. We'll give you some slight severance, but, but I'm sorry. Good luck. I hope you do well. Now, to his, he and his bride's credit, although he tried to find other work in the field that he was in, he couldn't. You know what he ended up doing? For a couple of years, he stocked shelves at Target. He was on the night crew, and he would unload trucks, and he would stock shelves. And through the whole process, he wasn't grumbling at God. He was persevering. He was enduring. He recognized that God was going to do something, even if he didn't know what it was. 
His wife, during the same period of time, although she had a master's degree, uh, she was finding jobs wherever she could, one of them being in the, uh, one of the kiosks in the mall, and both of them together, they endured. Perhaps it is that God wants to see how long your faith will go. Is your faith real? Is it genuine? Is it pure? And perhaps as you leave this morning, you can just have in the back of your mind, hey, perhaps it is that God is growing me, that he thinks enough of me that I can persevere and endure this particular hard day. And notice what else happens. Notice the second stage in this whole process. He said, when perseverance has finished its work, When perseverance finishes, when the endurance has come to the end, notice what he says the result will be. He says in verse 4, let your perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, you don't have the choice on whether or not you grow old. All of us are doing that. Every day we get up, we're a little older. But you do have the choice... You do have the decision on whether or not you grow up. You will grow old, but you don't have to grow up. That's a decision that only you can make. And James is telling his church, as we're talking to each other this morning, he said, hey, when you, when you are facing a trial, when you're uh, having a, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, or a very bad week, or a very bad month, God may be leading you to persevere and endure under great stress just for the idea that that you might actually grow up. Do you know how you get strong? You have to work out. You know how you cut fat? You got to exercise. James is saying, Perhaps in your trial, perhaps in your trouble, there's an opportunity for you to think of this as a growing opportunity that God has in store for you. That what he's doing right now in your life is saying, I'm going to make you who you should be. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be exactly the person you always wanted to be. So you know that person at work that just absolutely grinds at you? Uh, You you know that person, uh, maybe in your family, that you always just, well, they're always at you, and you're always a little at them, and there's just a little thorn in your side when it comes to that person? Do you know what I'm talking about? And when it comes to that person, and they've done something against you, James is saying perhaps because your faith is growing, instead of yelling at the top of your lungs in the front yard, perhaps instead of talking badly about them to your bride or to your spouse or to your brother or sister, Perhaps before you go into work and you just let them have it. 
that instead you would be that person that demonstrates the kind of kindness and compassion that Jesus showed to people that were around him. That you would, instead of trying to throw them under the bus at every turn, uh, perhaps you try and come alongside of them and actually help them. And there's no guarantee that they're going to love you. There's no guarantee that they're going to change their mind about whatever they have against you. But James is saying, you're growing. James is saying, you're rocking in the real world, man. Your faith is growing. And you're complete. And you're mature. And it's whole. Your faith is growing. How am I supposed to respond? I'm supposed to respond with joy. What is it that God's doing? Well, he's, he's giving me opportunities to persevere and to mature. Well, how exactly am I supposed to do that, God? How exactly am I supposed to change my perspective uh, so that I see trials in a different way? Well, he gives the answer uh, right there in verse 5, and the answer is that God never wastes a very bad day. Verse 5, he says, hey, ask God for wisdom. Look at what it says in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Hey, if, you, if you're having a hard time looking at this particular trial or trouble in your life as something that God could use to, to broaden and strengthen and exercise your faith, uh, then perhaps what you most need to do is get down on your knees and you need to begin to pray to God that he would give you the kind of wisdom that you need to see what you're going through in a different way. And I was so struck this week as I looked at verse 5 because uh, the idea here is, is that we can ask because of who God is. Gang, God is a giver. Do you recognize that? He has this singular way of giving to us that is abundant. The idea of being generous is that God is not begrudging in his giving. He's giving and giving and desires to give. And he's saying all that we need to do is to ask him. You remember perhaps in Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus is speaking with a crowd of people uh, and he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And just in that same section, he comes down and he says, hey, if you're a dad and you have a son and he asks for a loaf of bread, what are you going to give him? Are you going to give him a snake? Well, no, you're not going to do that. And he says, if you, though you are evil, can give good gifts to your children, imagine what God can do with you. You see, gang, God is a generous, unbegrudging, singular kind of giver. And if we ask him, he... He's willing to give us the kind of wisdom to see the trials and troubles that we're going through in a different way. 
So that we can actually begin to say, God, I don't love what I'm going through right now. This is a really hard time for me and my family. Uh, this is a, uh, something that I didn't think that I would have to deal with in my life, but I am going to trust you. And because of it, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach every day, even if I'm sad, even if I'm upset, I'm going to have joy. Joy that it comes only from you. You see, God is this generous God, unbegrudging in His giving, and He wants to. All you have to do is ask Him. And then He says, when you ask, don't be schizophrenic. Don't one day think that this trial that you're going through is something that God can use for for your good, and then the next day complain about how all these stupid people are around you. He's saying be singular in your focus when it comes to this trial that you're having to go through. If you're going to ask him for wisdom, uh, don't one day think that God can do it and the next day think that he can't. That's what he means when he says don't doubt and don't be double-minded. Look at verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Hey, be singular in your focus. God is being singular in his generosity to you, and he's asking for a singular focus from you when you pray to him. It's interesting, at the very end of this passage, in in verse 12, he says, the result, the result of those who will endure trial. The result of those who are mature and complete in their faith is the winner's circle. Notice what he says in verse 12. He said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now there are some who have come to this verse, and uh, Paul, or James rather, he's talking really about a, a winner's circle. If you had games, just like we do, he's saying, hey, you get a gold medal at the end. That's what the winner gets. They stand on top of the podium. They see their banner lifted high. He's saying, blessed is the one, uh, favored is the one from God who, who is able to see the trial that they're going through and recognize the opportunity that God is giving them to endure and to grow in their faith. God bless that person. But there's some question. What is this crown of life? What is it? Now, I submit to you that it could be a couple of things. It could be that James is talking about eternal life. That he's saying, hey, blessed are those who endure trials because at the end of the day, uh, they're going to receive eternal life. It could be that. I'm not sure if in this context he's talking about eternal life. I do think he's talking about a mature faith, a faith that is a stick-to-it kind of faith, 
a faith that's in it for the long haul. I think when he talks about those who will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him, I think it goes back to verse 4 and 5. Let the perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You see, at the end of the day, if you and I can learn to change our perspective about the trials and the troubles that we endure, God is going to strengthen our faith. God is going to plant us on a rock of maturity so that we are complete people. So that our faith Our belief, our trust in who God is leads us to where we need to go. I don't know why you came in this morning. I don't know if some of you came in this morning thinking, I've had a horrible, no good, very bad week. But I want to encourage you. Change your perspective. And consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and all that you do. And Lord, I pray that you will uh, just challenge our perspective throughout this book. And that our faith will grow. And that we will not be complacent. That we will not settle for mediocrity But I, Lord, that that you will challenge us, grow us, solidify our faith in who you are and all that you do. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. We pray this in Jesus' holy name.